the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're up early with us today. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm the other two. The other two. <laughs> This is Jim Crowder. I don't even have a remark for that one, Jim. Yeah. That was good. That's a good one. I'm always wondering what you're going to say. He lives, leaves us speechless all the time. You I know? know, I know. So, um, But good morning, Miss Veda and Mr. Jim. Howdy. Um little misty coming in this morning. I was so glad to see that, y'all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been dry. It's dry uh-huh. out there as a bone, and people forget to water this time of oh, year. Oh, I know. We're, mm-hmm. we're watering in the nursery, and I was thinking this week, I thought this was over with, <laughs> you know, this frequently. But. Well, and the, think about the weather the last, you know, four or five days. It's been absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's springtime weather, or well, falltime weather. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We're getting our fall now. It's been nice, though, I'm telling you. It really has. But I'm telling you, people, you know, all the irrigation systems are cut off, mm-hmm. you know, well, or they should be by now. Yeah. The hoses are typically put up, and people just aren't thinking about watering. And so that's why when I was driving in this morning, even though it wasn't raining, mm-hmm. it was misty and it was wet a little bit. So I'm thinking maybe that'll help some, I right? I think we're supposed to get a good amount of rain. Did you check, Jim? We, <coughs> I think it, it's not going to pour a whole lot, but I think it'll, over the next 24 hours or so, we'll get a good bit. At least settle some of the fungal spores and stuff. Carol got out and... and um, Right, you know, the other night and just well, or hold on. breathe the next yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, you know, Jim used to have a yard, right? Right, right. And now he's taken the yard over. It's, yeah. it's really nothing but beds. A little patch along. So his sweet wife gets out there to rake. It's probably no bigger than a <laughs> kitchen table, you yeah. know, as far as what she has to <laughs> rake. But not saying that she doesn't have allergies, though, right? She just likes to rake. Yeah. Well, there you go. So you did leave a little space for her oh, yeah. to rake. Um, yeah. I have a little turf. <laughs> so well, yeah. not much. Well, I did it a little different this year. You know, I've got that that tree in my front yard, that, that tulip poplar, that, that tree. That you love I didn't know you had so a much. tree in your front yard. <laughs> that <laughs> needs to come out eventually one of these days. Anyway, it's gotten pretty massive now. You know, it's been there for 25, 25 24 years, okay? And it, you know, it has a lot of leaves, big leaves, um, so they're easy to rake. But used to, I would wait till all the leaves came down, get everything raked up at one time, bag it all up, and I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. But that was a pretty big chore. So now I go out there, or did, and uh, I've already done it twice. I'll go out there with the lawnmower, the mulching mower, and just grind those things up. And I'll bag them also. But what I don't bag, I mean, I don't care because it's going to turn into compost anyway. But I've already done it twice, and I've got this last leaf drop. They're almost all the way off. When I get home every afternoon, every night, I look up and say, hey, I mean, leaves are left on mm-hmm. this tree. So I know i got to do it one more time. But, y'all, even though I do it more often, it's not as hard. Right. You know, I don't exactly. have 800 bags of leaves in it, my front it's yard. It's taken me a while to get people to realize that because a lot of folks want— but, you know, maybe you like doing it like that, but it's easier. It really yeah. is if you just keep up with it. And I think to me, I mean, it, it, you know, you don't have this such a daunting task in front of you. Like, you know, when am I ever going to get oh. to this? You know, so it, to me, it's just easier to get out there and do it if I know I don't have eight, you know, just a ton of leaves to get up at one time. So, hey, that's my theory anyway. That's your theory. Well, it's a good one. It's right. I think I'm like that, too. Just a little bit each time. What did they say? How do you eat an elephant? <laughs> One bite at a time. 
<laughs> you know, it, it works. When I get overwhelmed, that's what I say. I go, okay, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. So let me pick one thing but, and do it. But let me say this, though. I, the first time that I did it, as far as cutting my leaves with my mulching mower, Mm-hmm. I always have my setting pretty darn low on the front and side yards. What is darn? How do you measure darn? It, I'm going to tell it's, you. It's yeah. down to darn. Well, I'm going to tell you. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty dang low, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that it, one it, too. We it's went. one and a quarter dang low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I didn't, I, got it. I didn't think to raise my lawnmower level, the blade Uh-oh. level, the first time that I was getting those leaves. So oh. I s- almost, you know, scalped my lawn. Ooh. I mean, but I'm thinking... In the spring, in summer, it's not that I scalped it. It's a little lower than I would like right. this late in the season. But I'm thinking, okay, I really don't have any time left for this grass to grow back. Right. And if we get a really cold winter, I really have no insulation there as much as I would want. So the second time Got I did. chopped up leaves. Well, uh, you're right, Jim. Right. So the second point. time, <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling people this just to be aware. You might want to raise that lawnmower just a little bit before you get out there and start. Especially yeah. if you're not having chopped up leaves there to protect. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> really, so. two inches about as low as you want to go on Bermuda or, or Zoysia. Uh, for winter protection. And I was, so a, Kenneth and I was a little lower than that, Kenneth did, Yeah, he was at dang. Mm-hmm. And dern. And dern, yeah. Mm-hmm. He went two inches, dang and dern. So y'all out there, if you need a little information on those measurements, just see Kenneth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just trust me, just come take pictures of my front yard. It might be completely dead. It's a southern dead. thing. You know. You this know, is true. And I, I was reading, doing some reading last night, and I'm always... You know, I always want my the beds, whether it's in front of my house, behind my house, or around my shrubs, around the perimeter, whatever. I just always like that that nice little layer of mulch. You know, it looks good to me. You know, it, of course, we all know it helps keep the weeds out. It helps insulate the roots in the winter. It helps keep the moisture in in the mm-hmm. summertime. But I've always used, always have used some type of wood mulch, whether it's, you know, cedar, cypress, hardwood, pine. And then even this past year, just soil conditioner, which is nothing more than pine fine, right? And I love the way it looks. Don't get me wrong. But I'm thinking, I've never used pine straw. And I started just Mm -hmm. reading about pine straw last night. Uh, And I don't know why I haven't, maybe. Uh uh, But I think I'm going to use that next year. So I'll keep... Jim, have you used pine straw? Yes, I have. You have. Mm-hmm. So, and when I was young and in, in the Carolinas, that's pretty much what everybody used. Yeah, and down in Alabama and Georgia, yeah. you know, that's what they use. But I, I never have used it. So I think they did this coming spring. That's mm-hmm. going to be my mulch this year. Yeah, I have never used it until we started using it per request by some of the clients. And after using it a few times, I thought, you know, I could do this. I can go with this. I like it. But you can get allergies from that, too. It's dirtier than you would oh, think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, it's like, you know. I but, just, I mean, we are in working in the garden. I guess I want to be able to say that I've used every mulch that's available mm-hmm. out there, right? But you haven't used the pine straw. I haven't used the pine straw, but, I'm, but mm-hmm. I think I'm going to use it this spring because, you know, reading about it, of course, we already knew all this, that it's, you know, it's very airy and light. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really compress like some of the other mulches do. You can almost get away with putting a little too much down. You know, there again, because it's so airy and fluffy, right. Uh, You know, and it still holds the moisture in there Mm -hmm. in the summer. It still, um, you know, holds the the soil temperature, Jim, as you know, in the the, uh, spring and summer. So, you know, I mean, it's got all the attributes of of wood mulch. So I think I'm I'm going to try it. it would be a good place for wildlife to snuggle into. That's that's the one downside is that it is a perfect environment for Mm -hmm. voles. 
They oh. love it because they don't even have to dig a tunnel. They've already <laughs> made it's made right there. So if you're having vole issues, that's not my first mm-hmm. choice. Uh, but, right. But it's, it's great for, you know, uh, as a mulch. And, <clears throat> and if you're sitting out there thinking, well, you know, it's, it's too acidic. It's not. Okay. Right. Yeah, we hear that all the time. Yeah, that that's that's one of the old wives' tales. Well, hold on. Yeah, now, pine yeah. trees are acidic-loving, right? Well, they are, uh, yes, but almost all plants are. Yeah. Okay. Know. If you uh, put it like that. Right. But <laughs> pine, bark, pine bark itself is actually laced with calcium. So it's, you know, if you put it into a, a soil mix, it will raise your pH. It will not lower it. Wait, how is it laid? Naturally? Or yeah, it has it? calcium in it. So uh, that's so, one of the reasons yeah. it's used in in mulches, mm-hmm. um, and in, I mean in soil mixes because it it, it doesn't do nasty things to your pH. All right, because you always hear about no, I don't want to put it down around my roses or you know lilacs or whatever because it's going to just acidify my soil. Ain't You're saying that, that just doesn't happen, mm-hmm. Jim. No, even with oak leaves, you know, people talk about that. It doesn't change your pH. Yeah, because here was my big thing. What I see this a lot in Memphis. Azaleas planted under trees and pine needles around the base. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean boxwoods, boxwoods, because they don't like it acidic. But so, they don't change pH, right. so it ain't going to matter. Exactly. And, yeah. I, and so people would say that all the time, but then doing all the jobs and things, I'm going, well, you know, pH feels fine around the boxwoods. It, this can't be right. And so I had to ask Jim. Well, <laughs> being at the garden center, you know, this time of year, and typically we're, you know, we're in Christmas mode. I mean, we're nothing but Christmas, right? Trees, reeds, roping, mm-hmm. poinsettias, like, just like you've ate it, the whole bit. So it's kind of refreshing every now and then when somebody walks in with a sample in their hand of, of, of something in mm-hmm. their landscape, right? Well, I guarantee you out of the last five days, probably the last four out of five days, I've had people walk in with a cutting of an azalea limb, okay? Mm-hmm. With the leaves turning with yellow. With the leaves <laughs> turning yellow, Jim. Um, and they are just freaking out. Like, what is going on with my azaleas? Are they dying? What do I do? And, um, you know, we'll talk about that when we get back, Ms. Veda. All right, y'all. We're going to take a break. Call us. We'd love to hear your calls. 844-747-8868. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. If you can't tune us in on the radio, then go to kwamradio.com and stream us that way. You'll be able to hear as well. Yep. Uh, let's see. Where you were, we were in the middle of something. Talking about and, those, oh, those you, azaleas. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know who doesn't have azaleas here in Memphis, Tennessee? It's azalea, <laughs> azalea, <laughs> azalea, capital of the world. Um, but some years we see this more than others. And this year, you know, it looks like we're seeing a good bit of it where a lot of the foliage on the azaleas are just turning yellow and potentially falling off or Partic- eventually. Particularly white. Yeah, thank you. And pinks. Mm-hmm. You're right, Jim. Um, and I'm telling you, every day people are bringing in samples like of what is going on. What do I need to do? And freaking out about their azaleas. And, but for all the right reasons, you know. But I'm telling them, slow down. There's nothing really wrong with your azaleas. Most of this is completely weather-related. Yes. And if you look at the azaleas, what I tell them is at the very tip of the limbs, at the top of the limbs, at that cluster of leaves where the bud is formed, if it stays green all the way at the top, at the tip, you're fine. You can have every other leaf turn yellow and fall off, you know? Normally, it's a slow process, and and it's not—this doesn't jump out and grab you Mm -hmm. like— it has this year because we've had 
unusually warm and dry temperatures here, particularly the last week, and it's just really stimulated it. Right, We've right. had several uh, on the uh, on our Facebook group ask about what's going on, you know. Oh, so, so you've seen it all. So people oh, are asking yeah. the questions. Now, yeah. can you go out there and feed them with some holly tone or milorganite? Sure you can. But that foliage is still going to fall off. Exactly. Right. This it, is just a normal occurrence. Exactly. Right. But mm-hmm. what that would do is help that flush of growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, next spring. But there's absolutely nothing you can do to keep it from happening. Uh, it's very natural what's going on. Uh, and like I said, Jim said the whites particularly are, mm. and, and some of the pinks, They we see that on those too. So, guys, if so you're... It's if, like, it's natural that it happens, but it happens more intensely some years. That's exactly the, right. And, yeah. and, you know, while you're doing it, check it. Turn some of the older foliage over the yellow and see if there are little black dots on the back. Mm-hmm. That tells you that you did have some lace bug earlier in the season, and you need to address that next year. You know, I would sometime in before spring spray it with a good oil spray. Right. Just saturate it so that you can kill any overwintering insect or insect eggs on it. And then uh, if if you see that foliage begin to look kind of salt and peppery, yeah. then... Whitish, you, more of a whitish. Yeah, then you want to, you know, look at give, spraying it with a, a systemic, like acephate or treating it with a metacloprid or something like During that. During the growing season, Jim. Yeah, that will stop that. And you almost have to use a systemic because the lace bug penetrates such a small amount of tissue that if you spray pyrethrins on it, they're not likely to get enough to kill them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because they're flying in and out. It's not like you sprayed the insect with it. And, and the thing with me with lace bug, they're always on the underside of the leaf, right. always. And it's really hard to spray under every leaf when, when it comes to it azaleas. Is. So if you're using a systemic drench or a systemic spray, uh, that by far, like Jim said, is the best way to get rid of those lace yeah. bug, which is not the same thing, though. It's just the yellowing of the leaves that we're talking right. about. Right. And it does the, the lace bug damage on azaleas. I've seen a lot of it this year, but it's kind of the same scenario. If you <coughs> see it, the ends coming out with new green growth. Yeah, like then, you know, right here in front of the station, the ones that we planted mm-hmm. here, um, you know, this past spring, it they they did the same thing. They yeah. got they got dry during mm-hmm. the season. Yep, uh, got stressed. Got stressed, which brought the uh, the lace bug came in and took over. But now, as that last little burst of green came out, it's greening up, looks very nice, and yeah. it's going to shed this old foliage. And next year, we'll watch it a little closer and make sure that it. But they'll be more yeah. established. They'll be less likely to get a, right. to get the lace bug. But so. but you'll start spraying if need be as soon as you see the first yeah, signs. Right. You know, sometime right after they bloom, I'll do, you know just keep an eye on them, and then we'll spray them if we yeah, need if, to. Yeah. If if I I always recommend spraying the foliage with um, a good natural liquid fertilizer in the fall and in the spring just to improve the health of the plant to make it more resistant to these issues. Now, if I've got like four or five in my yard, you know, I'm going to work on it that way. If I had a field of them or a whole row of them, I would maybe have to do the systemic. Well, sometimes, you know, when you're in, working in a small environment, it's easier to set your environment up and it's easier to fertilize things out of their issues. But one of the easiest things you can do is just shade them. Yeah. You yeah. yeah. Lace bugs are just, they do not like the shade. Okay. They prefer to hit azaleas that are out stressed in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got a uh, conversation piece in front of my house and 
one or two places where the sun can actually penetrate the trees and get to them, you got a little limb yeah. there that's got a lace bark on it. I have seen like that before. Yeah, but the rest <laughs> of the plant looks fine. Now, so. if you fertilized a lot and watered a lot, you might could reduce the lace bug if it's getting extra sun. But like Jim said, just don't put it there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> move it. Uh, you know, if it's out in... Now, there's some exceptions. The, the encores, you read in my mind, right. They've got to be out in the sunlight to bloom, and some of those are real susceptible to lace bugs. So, if you know, some of them are less susceptible. So I mean, it's kind of a catch-22. Like I said, the encore is that bloom more than one time. They've yeah. got to have more sun to do right. that. Right. So, therefore, you're putting a type of azalea, still an azalea, okay, mm-hmm. out there where it has to have more sun because of the bloom. And like Jim just said, azaleas, a lot of azaleas that get too much sun are so susceptible to the lace bug. So just kind of keep your eyes out. And then people are always a little confused about feeding also when it comes to azaleas. Typically, if you're using a man-made azalea food, azalea food, mm-hmm. you typically bloom, uh, feed them about once a month for three months after they bloom every spring. Okay? If you're using a good organic fertilizer, like we mentioned a while ago, plant tone, holly tone, Milorganite, any of those, you can feed them today if you wanted to. You're not going to force these things to flush out before they need yeah. to. You know, and finding too is more of the natural fertilizers progress and all that. I don't have that question of or that answer back when I say you can fertilize your azaleas now. Um, as older generation would say, no, I thought you had to wait till after they bloom. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, but the younger generation just says, oh, okay, thank you, because they haven't grown up with the uh, old Yeah, The only reason methods. we've waited till after they bloom is because the bloom is set at the end of last year's growth. If you fertilize it and it's an, a mid to late season bloom, you push the growth out and cover the flower. It just hides right. the bloom. It has yeah. nothing to do yeah. with the health of the plant right. or anything mm-hmm. like that. Right. It's just not pushing that growth out so that you don't get the maximum power uh, effect from the, from. that's not a good word. Maximum, um, maximum uh, bloom. Whatever, yeah. Bam. The wow. That's yeah, the wow bam. Pattern. I knew it rhymed with that. So We're anyway, close. you know, to really get your maximum show, just wait till after they bloom. Mm-hmm. But right. when, the, when the, the soil temperature gets below 60, though, it doesn't matter. The and we're talking about, yeah, fertilizer. Okay, we'll, we'll be, be right back. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> this is Mid-South Garden. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, we were talking about the difference of types of fertilizer to use on a zellias or shrubs or anything. Sure. And it may have sounded as we were like, oh, fertilize after it blooms and that's the best time. And then we said, no, you can fertilize anytime. Well, we're talking about the difference of you can fertilize anytime if you're using the natural fertilizer. That's right. They know you fertilize anytime if you're using that. You know, it, the downside is if you get a warm spell, then... Either one's going to stimulate mm-hmm. growth, right? You know, because as much as it's sometimes hard to convince people that plants cannot absorb organic nitrogen, uh, the molecule is just much too large. It has to be broken down by bacteria mm-hmm. and fungus into nitrates, which is the exact same thing you get in a synthetic fertilizer. So if the soil temperature gets warm enough for the bacteria to kick in, it, that fertilizer is going to be available. Now, with organics, you have a lot less available, which is so likely 
to not force any growth. But, you know, like, because what's what's your fertile mosaic food? How much nitrogen's in it? Do you remember right offhand? It's like, what, 9% maybe? Okay, see, that, that's pretty high. Um, basically, we're wanting to apply about a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet whenever we fertilize just about anything. The frequency changes depending on whether it's shrubs or lawns, which are heavy feeders and, and that sort of thing. But organic nitrogen has to be broken down, and to do that, you have to have warm ground temperatures uh, now, to does make it, that happen. Does it take long? Let's say if you're using something like milorganite or holytone mm-hmm. or plantone or cottonseed meal or blood meal, any of those that are uh, organic-type uh, fertilizers, Jim, uh, does it take longer for the soil uh, to break those nitrates down compared to, say, a, uh, a coated man-made synthetic nitrogen? Uh, it does, yes. Yeah. You know, and again, the coated ones, like things like Osmocote, are totally rela- um, based on the soil temperature because it takes bacteria to break those down plus the amount of water that you get. And in, in some coated-type fertilizers, uh, it's just water that they depend on. The more water you get, the more fertilizer you get. But with Osmocote, you have bacteria that kicks in. And what about, so, a, what about a quick release type nitrogen? I mean, that would be a, a, some well, type of a monocle that nitrogen? That would, would be a nitrate, yeah, okay? That you uh, would not definitely use. Right, you know. Ammoniacal nitrogen, which is in what's in six twelve twelve and triple thirteen that sort of thing, it's not available in cool temperatures. Just can't now. Nitrate nitrogen is available, so you can get that. You know, if you buy um, a nitrate of soda, right? You can actually stimulate growth on your uh, pansies during the winter time because it's not temperature related. It's hard to it's hard for people to grasp that. You know, when I was growing up and when I, you know, first got into the business, you see the first number, which is nitrogen. You know, it doesn't dawn on to a lot of people that there's so many different types of nitrates that are out there. Well, okay, when you so and I what I was saying was back, I'm not in it for the nitrogen. I'm in it for all the nutrients that are, that are available, all the micronutrients, all the minor nutrients. So whatever the nitrogen does in the soil, whether it's organic or synthetic or whatever, I'm going for the other things. And I'm saying that you can use organic fertilizer anytime that you want. When the soil temperature is right, it'll be utilized by the plant. Um, we're not forcing anything, you know, whether you use a synthetic in the spring, in the fall, in the summer, or whatever it is. It's a quick fix for plants. And I like to um, amend the soil, prepare the soil, make it as healthy as possible. Oh, absolutely. So that's why I like organics, too, is I don't need to know everything about it. I just know that it works just like healthy food to a person, and back then, to the holistic And then there are some people that never even use fertilizers. They just go out there in their beds and use different types of compost, <clears throat> believe it or not. Because that's got all the good stuff in it, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's but, what people... Yeah, are well, the first thing you have to realize is plants make their own food. We're just assisting them in helping do other things, other other processes that they go on. Mm-hmm. You know, if if organic were cheap enough to be effective, then you'd have so many commercial growers being able to use it. But it doesn't do what they need it to do because of the way that it works. I okay. hope we live long enough where I can sit here and listen to everybody surviving without chemical. Oh, yeah. Everything's a chemical. Leave, leave. All of your, not, oh, all of your organics are chemical. Oh, come on. You know what I'm saying? Chemical. I'm saying organic, 
versus synthetic. Okay. Chemical is university. So I won't universe. So I won't call it chemical anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I am all no, in case y'all don't know. I used to be a pesticide I operator. Have given her a I knife used last to. <laughs> I used to spray insecticides, all that stuff. But um, I had better success. Yeah, that knife is right here in my pocket. Yeah. But you know what? It was pink, so I will not use that. Oh, that's all right. Uh, yeah, it's pink, the which I love. No, no, I won't use it on you. Is what I mean. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love the pink knife. So I got to give you that. <laughs> but uh, can every nurseryman needs a pocket knife? You really do. I love it yeah. because I mean, who likes to you walk know, back could, for scissors? I don't know. And I still every day I'll pull mine out of you know and use it for something. Mm-hmm. Hey, know, I don't know about so. y'all, but my wife uh, changing the subject here. She hates <laughs> <laughs> she hates uh, spiders. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, if I don't care if I'm upstairs, I can hear her screaming my name, and I'll come running down there like, "What is going on?" She's like, "Can." You please get that spider over there. And, you know the thing's no bigger than your your pinky. You ran nail, a right? mile really yeah. fast to get so you, the spider. So you know you just go get the tissue and smush it and throw it away or flush it, whatever. But it seems like the, I don't know why y'all. It seems like in the spring and even right now, um, a lot of these critters are trying to get into the house. You know, and Gina she made the comment. Uh, we have someone come out and spray. Uh, the interior of the house for insects, maybe two or three times a year. A lot of people do, right? But I guess towards the end of that session, before they come out again, maybe some of this stuff is wearing off, and that's why the mm-hmm. insects are coming inside. So she's like, what can we do? Uh, Did as you a, tell her just like spiders and the problem uh, solved? Yeah, but <laughs> what can we They're do? They're controlling your insects. Uh, what more do you want? That doesn't work either, <laughs> That's not going to work on her, no. <laughs> So if, if you're having a problem with insects coming in the house, including spiders, and you hate them as much as my wife does, and I'm like you, sp- spiders, don't, they don't bother me at all. There are just some just old-fashioned generic insecticides that you can buy and actually go outside and spray the foundation of your home. You know, there again, mm-hmm. whether it's a, you know, in the permethrin family, uh, something like bifenthrin or something like that. But I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that because it's just a spider, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and you can get the little <laughs> sticky traps, you know, to put right along the base of the floor behind your furniture and stuff. And because spiders like to take that, they'll, they'll run along the, the base the wall base of the wall, and they'll get stuck in there, and there's no pesticides in them or anything. You just, if you have a cat, he'll end up with it stuck on him. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got a little dog. Walking around with on his back foot <laughs> trying to get it off. And then I know there's, uh, you know, diatomaceous earth you can sprinkle on the inside yeah. of the house, around the baseboards really and everything. That's really good stuff, actually. But I'm just, I don't know what it is about that particular insect that just sends people up the wall, and that's the spider I'm talking about. I mean, about. And Charlotte's Web, Charlotte wasn't scary. <laughs> didn't everybody watch that? I don't, think she, I don't that? think she read it or watched it. <laughs> oh, gotcha. So for critters coming in, guys, there are just very safe, very generic insecticides that you can mix. Spray around the foundation of the house. As long as you spray, you know, it's not going to rain for 24 hours. You know, it, it would definitely help. And then there are, of course, insecticides that you can spray on the inside also. Mm-hmm. Around the baseboards, the door jams, the window Was frames. Wasn't there, I still remember this for a while back, Precor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that still available? Yeah, growth regulator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's for insects inside yeah. and things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it works particularly well on things like fleas if you've got mm-hmm. them in your carpet. 
uh, because it will stop the flea in whatever growth stage it's at. So, yeah. Yeah, an insect growth regulator. And most of the old four-hour foggers had those type things in them, too, you know, where it would, uh, when you fogged your house, it got in everything uh, mm-hmm. and then yes. would, would kill or at least stop the fleas immediately in whatever stage they're at. And eventually, it takes, you know, a month or so, but you can get rid of them. I did actually, actually have good luck with diatomaceous earth, and there was a lot of fr- fleas. And it was in carpet, though. I remember and you so talked about could, that years ago. Yeah, it could get down into the carpet. So that helped. But now, and you I, know, the, the dust-type insecticides really play yeah. havoc on most of the new vacuum cleaners. So oh, don't you, tell me that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you've got one of those that swirls air and that kind uh-huh. of thing in it, it, it's pretty nasty on the motor. So because yeah, um, it's that just enough silica, yeah. I guess, to cause that. Man, that's a bummer because you're going to have to vacuum yeah, sometime, yeah. you know. So yeah. Well, when we get back know. from this break, y'all, we're going to talk about the gardening trends for 2022. Yeah. And I'm going to disarm Veda, and then we'll continue our <laughs> <Yeah>. conversation. <laughs> you know, because we're always, I'm always wanting to know, you know, what's ahead of us in the next year, Veda, uh-huh. Jim. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and of course, now these are projections. That doesn't mean any of this will actually happen, okay? Yeah. And I don't know if some of these projections are man-made to where they want it to happen. Well, isn't that what advertising is all about? Jim, there you go. You just let the cat out of the bag, you know. But um, gardening trends for 2022. And let me say this real quick also. You know, we've always had a hummingbird feeder up. Always, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, of course, we don't really need it up this time of year. Uh, in fact, Gina's already taken it down, washed it off, cleaned it up, and put it in the storage. But I'm thinking, y'all, I've always had this shepherd hook there with this hummingbird feeder for most of the year. Mm-hmm. I've never put a just a bird feeder on yeah. this thing. Do I sue it? I know. Yeah. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking because it's right there by the big kitchen window. You know, the birds are not going anywhere. They're mm-hmm. out there. So I don't know why it just dawned on me that, Maybe I need to put up a bird feeder oh, when I take the hummingbird feeder down. It just reminded me. I didn't replace the bird bath we sold, and those birds have went all week without a bath. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. I mean, they couldn't use the pond right beside it, you know. So y'all like the suet better than just the old Yeah, you bird, get, you bird get less, less junk birds, mm-hmm. you know, blackbirds yeah. and that sort of thing. You want to stay away from corn if at all possible. Well, yeah, I mean, you put some flower Blackbirds have found, there. there's a group of like three or four that come early every morning. They found my mealworm feeder and they'll play havoc on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bluebirds are there now, you know, feeding on mealworms. And uh, then they recommend the suet with less seed. In it to get for the yeah the suet I use I, I yeah. use I use a, a fat t- back mm-hmm. type for woodpeckers and that sort of thing yeah and then I also use one that's sunflower seed and mealworms that's glued together and it's a big one that cost me mm-hmm. about seven dollars and you just one. put it in a little oh, cage and good. hang the cage up and yeah I use two of those because you get tip mice you get chickadees you get kinglets uh, all kinds of the the small birds that are really pretty. Well, we were back ordered our uh, suet houses, suet holders. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's not going to last till the end of the suet, but I took twine and uh, made made one. your own holder. Yeah, it's like a, it, it's a bigger one, and it has like six uh, strings around it to to one that's hanging it. But I know I'm going to watch. They're eating it now, but it's probably just going to crumble and all fall to the ground eventually. But it's working now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you can get. I mean, you really have to have. 
a suet feeder for the suet cakes. Mm-hmm. They're, um, and of course, then the squirrels will find it, and you'll have to deal with those. And well, yeah, and right. knock on wood, well, y'all. If it wasn't in a cage, or if it is in a cage, no, they even still in get it. minor in cages. Oh. And of course, you know the one of them I electrified, so it shocks the bejesus <laughs> out of them if they get near it. <laughs> well, squirrels, yeah. And, and the neighborhood that I'm in, and I don't know why, because we live beside a a grove of woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've seen. Four or five squirrels in the neighborhood in the last, honestly, 20 years. Well, that's because you're not feeding them. And, but that's but So maybe I need to rethink this, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, pull one up such, and see what happens. Isn't it, isn't it hard trying to have all that we want from the country in the suburban area? Well, I keep thinking <laughs> that maybe they're just happy over there in the woods, so I don't know. That's it. Okay, let's go to another break. Call us, 844-747-8868. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're here early this morning. We've all had a lot of coffee and we're just as happy as can be. <laughs> we're so what's in your coffee? Wired up. Yeah. Oh, I must have grabbed the wrong coffee this morning. <laughs> and if you want to give us a call this morning, local number 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or go to kwamradio.com. And then you can always go to uh, the Mighty 990 Facebook page and see Miss Veda right there. That's what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. see me with Jim. I've got my hands up <laughs> yeah. in the air. I don't care what it is. This Hi, guys. <laughs> KWAM, our flagship ship station where we're broadcasting from, is the home station for Todd Starnes. And so he has a camera that we get to use on Saturday mornings. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, we were, while we're still in the bird feeding thing, there's a, a lot of bird feeders out that are copper now. Yeah, you know, I've seen that. They're beautiful and very durable, and there's new styles. Because now we're wanting to get artistic with our bird feeders. You know, some we're kind of getting past the barn-looking bird feeders. Yeah, and there's and a lot of... we're going artistic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're right. <laughs> and then uh, the designer bird feeder, if you will. And then yeah. there's uh, a lot of bird feeders out there that have disclaimers on them about <laughs> being squirrel-proof, right? Well, I, you know, I have one that is squirrel-proof, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it has the spring in it, so yeah. you adjust it to you know, so that even a heavy bird will close it. Yeah. Um, and it does aggravate them a good bit, and it's made out of strong metal, so they they still can get on it, you know, and they can't get any food out but of it. But then you make them just mad enough to go out there and start gnawing holes in the eaves of <laughs> yeah, your home, you know? Exactly. You know, they, huh. they've cut holes in my house so many times, it's just ridiculous. Oh, so. yeah, that is difficult. I've always been fortunate to live somewhere where there's been plenty of trees and, and all, where the squirrels haven't really pestered me like that. But as well, they I apparently you, don't like my trees because they're, they're <laughs> in your bird feeders. And I'm like, but wouldn't they want the natural stuff more than, well, I guess bird seed and all that is kind of natural, though. But mm. what do squirrels eat besides pecans and all those? They eat bird seed. They yeah. eat nuts and That's stuff, everything fair. that we feed them. Yeah, so if I had the squirrel problem like that where they were... I mean, even if you took them down for a couple of weeks They'll or come so, back. yeah. Now, will, my wife bought me a slinky the other day because she saw online where a guy hooked a slinky to one, mm-hmm. and every time the bird would jump, I mean, the squirrel would jump up, the slinky would drag to the uh-huh. ground and oh, throw great. him off again. So, no, I, that's cool. Yeah, uh-huh. I have a slinky. I'm going to hook up on one and oh, see if that see that if that really works. Be awesome yeah. if that does. But you know, I have the one um, 
that, that's electrified. It has a battery hook to it and See, a couple of wires. And mm-hmm. the birds, because they can't get touch both at the same okay. time, they can't get shocked. But if a squirrel is holding the pole and reaches over and grabs the feeder, <laughs> uh, you know, it uh, gets his attention. Yeah. So, it doesn't kill him. It just no, makes no, him uh-uh. think. No, it's shocked. That's you know, because I, I have put food in it without turning it off. And it's uh, it's uncomfortable, but it's not, it <laughs> yeah. won't knock you down or anything. Well, so. make you not want to eat the bird seed, right? That's right. But that's what I was curious in is how does it uh, not shock the uh, bird and the squirrel? I'm thinking, oh, these birds have something natural no, that repels no, them. No, they just but can't they touch can't both. Yeah, they can't touch both wires that. at the same time. That's but it's funny how we've all seen the little video clips online of the squirrel figuring out a way to get that bird food. Yeah. But it sounds like, Jim, with just an old-fashioned car battery or, or lawnmower it, It's battery a lawnmower battery, yeah. Hooked yeah. up, yeah. you know. And that's pretty brilliant, I'm Man, telling you. Of yeah. all the... It's like sometimes your yard would be f- so full of little contraptions to... You're trying to repel the voles, the raccoons, the armadillos, Yeah, and then you the start squirrels. putting signs up for the people, you know. I just put one up one in the front yard that says, this area patrolled by a barking dog because this fairly elderly man delivered a package the other day, and I thought, he's going to die if my dog scared him to death. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning and welcome to mid-south gardening i'm as they say veda vance <laughs> yes you are that's miss veda right there i'm kenneth uh, with dan west garden centers and who do i have to the left of me over here i'm jim crowder i am a retired nurseryman and i'm administrator of our facebook group mid-south gardening Please join if you hadn't. It's got lots of good information, um, lots of files on there that you can go and look for. Like if yeah. you, we had a discussion uh, just this week on pollinators for pears. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of information like that on there. So. Hey, pears do okay here, don't they? Pears do. They're the least grief of any fruit that good you way. could grow. Yeah, <laughs> they um, now they are mostly self-pollinating, but there are some like... Uh, uh, kefir, which was our, the one we had a discussion about, it's it'll pollinate itself, mm. but it pr- produces so much better if you plant an orient or a bartlet nearby. So uh, you just get better fruit production. So. Well, and, and, and speaking of fruit trees, guys, you better be ready <laughs> to spray. If you've got peaches, plums, nectarines, you know, uh, apples, I mean, they're just yep. so susceptible to so many different insects and disease, yep. um, and some are more so than others, that you just better be prepared to get out there it, and you're spray. You're going to have to have a spray program. <laughs> you're going to have to do it religiously every 14 days or so from the time the flowers shatter yep. to the time that you pick the fruit. Um, and <clears throat> it's just there are a lot of work here in the Mid-South. Now, pears, like I say, are the least grief. You seldom have to do much to those. But, you know, so many of them are, um, you have to watch for fire blight. Prune it out quickly if you see it. Um, Where the limbs just turn black. Yeah. The leaves yeah. turn black, the limb turns <laughs> black, and it looks just like it's been torched by yeah, fire. By yeah, by a blowtorch, right. yeah. So there's, there's all kinds of issues even with pears, but... It's the, mm-hmm. If you're going to grow something, that's that's going to be the easiest one for you. Yeah, I grew a peach tree, 
And I did before we had everything mixed together. Peach like is probably one of the hardest. Yeah, to grow, you know. Yeah, before we had everything, it was soft rock phosphate, lava sand, cottonseed meal. You could buy all those in, in uh, different bags. So I bought one of each bag, and I did the lava sand and all that stuff <coughs> around it, which of course took much longer to make your little recipe. Did that. Did the compost. Um, next week or so, I came out and my dog had dug half of it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I reapplied it and it was fun. And then we went about six weeks and I came out and the dog had dug a little bit more. So I added more compost, the root stimulator, the super yeah. thrive, uh, threw some seaweed on it, sprayed the foliage. You know, I'm just doing everything. Yeah. I'm going to make sure. Because I knew it was getting stressed tremendously by the dog digging it up. So finally he just lost interest. I, d- I don't know why or what I did to make him uh, change his path. But the next season I had tons of fruit on it. And this comes to the hard part. You've got to pull some of it. It was yep. little buds. You, I had to pull. I mean, there would be like five peaches developing on the end. But you had to take every one off but one. And that's the yeah. hard part. And, and also, you know, if you're planting a new one, don't let it fruit for about five years. I mean, it takes so much energy out of the tree to produce mm-hmm. that fruit. You're going to have a that is a hard pill uh-huh. to swallow. It Get out is. There. It is. I did not know? know that at the time, and I wonder what I would have. And known. just leaving, <laughs> even if you just leave one, that's still going to substantially slow down the your production, uh, your growth of the tree. Well, I was even fortunate to get that many peaches off of that aged tree. How long it had been planted, which wasn't long. Mm-hmm. Well, for the it, first year, it, right? It, yeah. Well, I'm thinking this, that's a lot. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you usually get, even on a first year, you'll get some flowers mm-hmm. to set. Yeah. Um, oh, it must have been. I'm trapping you. It must have been all that organic fertilizer. Yeah, that's probably what <laughs> it was. But it could have been. Extra. <laughs> you know, instead of a five-gallon tree, you might have got a seven- or ten-gallon tree that was an older, more mature tree. Right, but, yeah. But you're right. I mean, I just want to throw that out there with fruit trees. And, and, and people love to grow them. I mean, they love growing not only their own vegetables. A lot of people like to grow their own fruit. Uh, but you just have to be prepared to get out there and spray. Like Jim said, you have to get on a spray regimen, and you got to stay on it. And usually that regimen is a combination of insecticides and fungicides. And if you do that in water and feed like Vaden and them were talking about, you can be very successful. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah, it's just a program. You better you know, be ready know. to spray. And then if you know, then that's half the battle, really. Yeah, I think uh, – Doctor that did my my hip surgery, he just wonderful guy. He had some, he has some property outside of Memphis, and he, he came into the garden center. He said, "Hey, I'm going to put some fruit trees out there." And I said, "Well, let me tell you what you're up against. You right. know, you're going to have to spray them and all this." And and so, uh, like two years went by, and I finally uh, asked him, "So, how do your fruit trees do?" I said, "I gave up. The deer ate them all." Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and that happens a lot. The we deer's see that a lot. got to. I wonder which one is the worst. For your garden. All of them, really. I mean, is the deer worse? Would you rather have deer than armadillos? Would you rather have squirrels than deer? I think. They're all bad. Yeah. They're all bad. Yeah, yeah. they're all bad. It's, oh, it's so sad when you go out and everything's just much down. That, that cuteness factor wears off, you know, when you go out there and all of your hostas are eating off of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, <you're> that's <laughs> one. Like I was saying about that picture, she probably had 30 hostas in the one area planted so perfectly. Because there was a big blues and small yellows oh, yeah. and variegateds and, oh, beautiful. And she came outside and it looked like somebody took a weed eater and just 
And, and I told you the story it. about a couple that I know that still live in the same house that we're talking about now outside of the city limits uh, in the suburbs. And they were, they'd been in, uh, out of town uh, for a couple of months. And uh, they pull back into their uh, driveway, and they're in a wooded area. And there are the deer laying on the overhang. They're laying on the front porch. That's, that's <laughs> where they had been laying probably since they pulled out, you know, two, <laughs> okay. two months before. And, of course, the deer kind of get up and look like, who is at our house, you know? <laughs> and they said it was crazy. And these deer were in no hurry to get up uh. and walk away. And not only so they got in, got unpacked and everything, and then they started surveying, you know, the landscape, and there was so much damage that oh, had been they done. They were resting after they, they were resting their out. bellies, but they were laying on the porch up there by the front door. That's so funny. <laughs> and the animals are amazing. Amazing how they... They know what you're trying to do to them, but <laughs> they're going to find ways to, to yeah. get around that. But, you know, let me say this also. You know, we're always talking about that product, Milorganite, mm-hmm. you know, as a great fertilizer. And it really is. Whether you put it on your lawn, your bed, you can put it everywhere. But it also dubs as a pretty darn good deer repellent it also. It really does. You know, you know we sell, you know, out there at Highway 64, we sold uh, well, a tractor trailer load, 40,000 pounds plus, you know, every year for deer repellent. Okay, because it does, it it's as effective as anything you can use, and it's yeah. you know inexpensive when you're talking about, you know, covering twenty five or thirty five hundred square feet or so for twenty bucks. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so um, we recommend putting it out in the spring, you know, right before the deer start moving, just so they know that it's there and maybe not learn how delicious your yard is. <laughs> but do you think fall would help too? Because they're out. I really think you should put it down year round. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think so. You know, and you want to focus on areas where you know, deer tend to follow paths in and out of feeding areas. They do. So you want to sp- spread it there. Th- if mm-hmm. it's, you got woodlands behind you, throw it over the fence and yeah. get it in that area. So they come into that before you, they get to the smorgasbord that you planted for them, you know? <laughs> yeah, the buffet. Yeah. The buffet. So. Yeah, so that's a good thing, y'all. If you're having deer issues, just go get a bag of milorganite, put it out now, and then do it again next season. And plus, it's a double duty. It's yeah, fertilization Typically, as well. you know, I, people had real severe deer problems about every six weeks or so, usually kept them at bay. Um, if you get a lot of rain, plus it feeds anything you put it on. Yeah, you know? yeah. But you're spreading it over such a large area, and it's you know it's not a high nitrogen product, right. so it's not going to be a big issue. Uh, but it, it's it really really does a great job, and it does have just a little bit of a fragrance <laughs> after the first rain. Uh, but it goes away. But for mm-hmm. deer, it doesn't go away it that quickly. Well, Jim, earthy. don't make it sound like it uh, it smells like heaven. No. Okay. <laughs> when he, when yeah. he said fragrance, y'all, he means it, it, it's there is a fragrance uh, about fragrance. it. Because <laughs> fragrance doesn't necessarily mean it's good. That's exactly true. Right. That's right. It's the fragrance. Um, but so do the mill organite thing. And then, you know, well, you know, we probably should go to a break i'm thinking because we just keep talking and talking through it and everything so ornamental grasses that's a cool one it is and gardenias you know we can mm-hmm. we you know that we people love gardenias okay. around here Oh, we got to talk about the camellias then we're going to talk a little bit about mistletoe hmm. and we're going to talk about some gardening trends for 2022 guys sounds like a plan we've got lots we've got a now call your friends wake hour. them up we'll be back to mid-south gardening in a moment
Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you back with us. Call your friends, wake them up. Yeah. Listen to these fools on the radio. Yeah, if you want some humor. Morning entertainment and a little bit of garden information. There you go. If you want to give us a call, guys, this morning, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926 or Miss Veda. 844-747-8868 or you can stream us online radio.kwamradio.com if you're going in and out of the area you can hear us good on the computer anywhere in the world yes yes that is amazing because we're finding out people all over the world we have people in england listening Oh, we do. That's mm-hmm. great. Oh, they need to give us a call. Well, of course, they're listening to podcasts, so it might. Mm-hmm. What time is it in England right now? Um, Probably midnight. I know. What am I Six asking that for? Maybe so. Like yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, what well. about this um, mistletoe you were talking about? Or Veda? Well, Jim was started. Okay. Yeah, started it. <laughs> talked a little bit yesterday uh, when I was up here with Tim Van Horn about mistletoe and and uh, um, the associated. <laughs> yeah, what's that word again? Word I know there. what you're saying, yeah. but I just can't. Anyway, how I how, how it, it, okay. First, let's talk about the plant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It'll come to you in a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we call them hemiparasitic. That's a fancy word that means that they also create chlorophyll, so they can live on their own. They don't have to be. Uh, attached to uh, or get its nutrients from a tree. Okay, so typically they, they do though once they're mature. So mistletoe is that little green cluster that yeah. we see growing up in any particular type I, of tree. I, well, thought, here, it grew, here I thought it grew on doorways. Yeah, well, in go. December. Well, you can <laughs> walk always up seems under to be hanging <laughs> from lights. I don't right, know right. Gets, yeah. Um, typically here we see it in oaks, oak trees. Okay. Yeah, primarily, but there are. Uh, so there are about 1,500 different species of plants that kind of fall under the mistletoe name. Um, the one that is out west is different from the one we have here in the south. Um, the one in Europe is different. Um, but the, um, they are, once the, the seed has this sticky stuff on it, the, you know, the seed, the, the berries t- typically are white, um, and they're, they're real sticky. Sticky. Um, they'll stick to birds' feet. They'll, you know, they don't blow yeah, the wind. That spreads them everywhere. Yeah, and that's, that's how most of them get spread. But once that seed gets embedded in, into or attached to something, I mean, it'll pass through a bird and still be sticky. Um, wow. Once it gets onto the plant, that sticky stuff hardens, okay? And then it can take up for a year for the root to come. It's a root-like structure um, that comes out and, and secretes an enzyme that actually so it can bury itself through the bark of the tree. And that could, like I said, could take a year or so. Uh, Then once it gets there, then that root-like structure gets into both the cambium and the phloem so it can get water and nutrients from the host plant. Uh, Typically, it doesn't hurt the host plant because it's drawing such a small amount of food and water from it. So it's not a big deal if you see mistletoe mistletoe growing in your oak tree. Right. Now, you know, back in the Carolinas, we used to go out when I was a kid and shoot it down Mm -hmm. with shotguns and sell it in bags for, you know, a quarter. Didn't everybody do that? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but now... Not anymore. Somebody called in yesterday and said, with the cost of ammunition, you know, you can't do that anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Not wasting that on some mistletoe. 
yeah. But you're saying, uh, Jim, but so mistletoe is a somewhat of a parasitic It is parasitic, plant. but not totally because it has it has its own chlorophyll mm-hmm. in it. Well, uh, the, in, go ahead. Uh, okay, well, well, then we get to the, the kissing part of the mm-hmm. the the formula here that <laughs> it, it that's a, that has its basis in christianity uh, it was mostly in the the servants of um, the aristocracy in england and europe had this um, tradition where they would hang mistletoe uh, and if a woman, a young woman, was caught underneath that, then a man could kiss her. And if she refused the kiss, then bad luck would be bestowed on her. So, <laughs> you know, that's funny. it's funny how we, so that's we made, made, we made that happen. Made that, yeah. So that's why yeah. the, men, the men strategically <laughs> right. put them up under the doorway, right. knowing you've got to you've walk got through to. this doorway. But right. then once the man did it, he pulled a berry off, okay? Uh-huh. And then once all the berries were gone, the kissing was over. That's okay, hilarious. so this, that's the season ended pretty quick. So yeah. that's why we need mistletoe <laughs> with as many berries as possible. Yeah. Well, over here we don't seem to care about the berries. You know, uh-huh. like I say you could hang broccoli up there this time of year and it'll work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, well, at least I'll try. Kenneth had. Said, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why he brought a salad today. Kenneth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I walk in someone's house and I see a cluster of broccoli above <laughs> their door, I'm walking. I'm exiting. I'm gone. <laughs> Well, you know, Kenneth, you were like, there's got to be some benefit to mistletoe, or why is there mistletoe? And I had, um, well, I'd seen mistletoe vitamins Yeah, it has, it has a number of medicinal, wow. verifiable yeah. medicinal right. uses. It was um, used for like almost 100 years for cancer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking this up, and now it's in the medical journals that they're using it for, for cancer. But also like for infertility, hype, nervous hypertension, which I had the first hour. I guess most. Pl- <laughs> I guess most plants out there have some some type of medicinal value. But That's true. but then I've also wondered before, and you just explained it to me, Jim. How did mistletoe get up there? I'm like, you know, this thing is. I mean, seriously, how yeah. did it get up yeah, there? It's it's pretty much all transferred by birds. But but it's a sticky seed, like you said. It's, it's very sticky. In fact, if we used to dis- excuse me, this is kind of um, gross, but we just. Used to Describe it is not. <laughs> it is so That's sticky. That's a new one. Yeah. Ew. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, well, so much for that breakfast they were eating this yeah. morning. So that's the Oat story meal. of mistletoe. I love it. Yeah, yeah isn't it it's amazing cool plant, how things though. happen? It is. Yeah. All right, what about another cool plant, guys, is, uh, of course, the old-fashioned gardenias. Mm. You know, and the reason I bring it up is because last year with the horrible winter that we had, a lot of gardenias were uh, really frozen all the way down to the ground, or, or a lot of them were just mm-hmm. toast or, or burned. And But having said that, a lot of gardenias did come back if you gave them time. Most yeah. people didn't. Most people just cut them down, dug them up, threw them away. But the people that were patient, a lot of those gardenias that looked dead did actually come back from the root system, mm-hmm. okay? So then it made me, you know, people have asked, you know, can we really plant gardenias here in the Mid-South? Uh, in, are there any gardenias that maybe might be a little more winter tolerant than some of the other ones? And all the answers are absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I would not be uh, afraid to plant a gardenia here in the Memphis uh, metro area especially. But typically, you know, we don't have the winters that are the winter that we had last year. You know, where it was zero. Or 20 de- years ago. Yeah, or, yeah, or you know, zero degrees for basically for five days. So... 
you know, some of the new ones, uh, you know, st- uh, Steady As She Goes and Horn, you know, Klein, Horns Kleine. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Climbs hardy. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be back after these messages. Y'all are drinking something over there. I don't know what that is. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all are joining us this morning. It's a little misty outside and I guess it's going to be that way all day. But you know, sometimes I like gardening with the weather like that. Well, like we said in the first like two or three minutes of the show, we needed that moisture out there. Yeah, I guess we're going to get it all day. But Jim was saying possibly that it wasn't going to be pouring. No. Nah. Well, that's good. I like this day. It's starting out. This is like a really looking fall day Yeah, you can me. get out there, still pick out your Christmas tree, get your poinsettia, get your Christmas yeah. cactus, get uh-huh. all you need for your Christmas, Christmas dec- decorations. Oh, and get a Yuletide camellia Yeah, because the Yuletide is blooming now, mm-hmm. right around Christmas time. It's red with the yellow in the center. That's right. Beautiful green leaves. I mean, someone, a couple of people asked me this week, so camellias are evergreen. Yes. yes. So, I mean, it's almost like one of the perfect shrubs. Now, there's a camellia that blooms in the fall and a camellia that blooms in the spring or varieties because there's a lot of varieties. But is, okay, Sendanquas fall and Japonica spring? Yeah, most of your Sasanquas are blooming now. Yeah, I said Sendanqua. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again, Ken. Uh, Sasanqua. And then... like Chishigashira is a hyamalus. Love it. Yeah, Love that's, it. that's one of my favorites, too. But yeah. but most of your small-leaf, smaller blooms, the Sankos are blooming now. Most mm-hmm. of your big leaf and the mm-hmm. bigger blooms, the Japonicas are, will bloom a little later on. Uh, and then, like Jim said, there's some hybrids that are blooming now. But we were talking about the gardenias a while ago. Oh, yeah. uh, don't be afraid, is my, my point, to plant gardenias. Now, you know, or is the mystery, the old-fashioned mystery or August beauty mm-hmm. gardenias going to be as winter-hardy as a lot of these newer hybrids out there? Probably not, okay? But my mother had a six-foot-tall, six-foot-wide uh, August beauty uh, gardenia, and it was just cooked to the ground. And it did come back from the root. Mm-hmm. But now it had been there for five or six years, so it was well-established, had a good root system. But... You know, it's one of those plants where they're so wonderful. You know, they're nice evergreen shrubs. They, you know, they do need more sun than shade. Beautiful, uh, fragrant blooms. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people question whether they should plant gardenias in this area or not. And that's the reason I brought this up. Is can I say absolutely, absolutely, you can. Yeah. Hey, did they bloom this year? The gardenias. Yeah. Is it going to just take? not? They did just not as much. Oh, that's, you know, that's good. It's one of the plants, though, that. I think is best planted in the spring. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, planted in the fall, it's it's going to get some root development out of that root ball into your soil, but not a lot. Okay. Um, and it's not worth yeah risking the yeah. weather that we, you could get on it. We've talked about this when the soil temperature gets below forty five or so, plants can't take water in. So uh, gardenias are. Pers- are especially susceptible to wind damage because they have green stems. They don't have a barky kind of stem like many plants do. So it, it loses moisture through the stems as well as the foliage. And if it can't, if it's cold ground and it can't replace that moisture, you get winter burn in mm-hmm. them. So if I plant it in the spring, you're going to get a whole season's worth of growth on it 
before we that, really have a that hard first cold winter. spell, right? And it's you're much less likely to have issues that first year, you know, because I've seen so many people who who want to plant them and then they'll put them all the way across the front of their house, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you know, and they all die the first mm-hmm. year, and and it's really, you know, it's just their timing was just wrong. So, you know, I think you're safer. Now, if you want to yeah. try one, you know, that's fine. But I right. wouldn't plant a whole bunch of yeah. them. Yeah, like in a um, little microclimate. Yeah. yeah, see, the difference, just to explain microclimates a little more, is at the garden center in the back, it has a fence t- fence on two sides, the building, and then it's open on the other side. And then we have the shade cloth over. But I've left things out, houseplants and, and other things, and nothing it's so microclimate there that it's never hit low enough in yeah. that little space mm-hmm. or long enough to really damage things. So, you know, maybe if you had to plant a gardenia in the fall, if you planted a little micro environment in the city, yeah. you know, now as more as more as you go out. Because I know I used to drive from Rossville to Memphis and I would watch the temperature drop mm-hmm. as I got closer. And it would be like a five degree difference. And that makes a lot of difference between 32 and 37. Right. Yeah, you, know? you got all this asphalt and buildings and all that stuff mm-hmm. here. So the city itself is kind of like a microclimate, yeah. if you will, yeah. compared to the outlaying areas mm-hmm. that gets yeah. usually a little colder we're, out there. You know, inside the loop, we're pretty much a zone eight. Wow. You know. Uh, but once you get outside the loop, you know we're seven B or so. So I, you know, I've seen it's it, no, no, uh, Jim. I've seen <laughs> somewhere we actually, I mean, on a map where they've got the little pinpoint of Memphis yeah. and it's, it says Zone Eight, yep. you know, on there. Right. The, oh, the yeah. uh, Arbor Society adopted that particular map as being the one they like. You know, it, it was commissioned by the the um, National Weather Service, but they didn't like it once they did it, so they had them redo it. And uh, <laughs> Off of what well, bases? They, oh, I just don't like it. They took into consideration heat islands and things like that when they did mm-hmm. the first one, and it was it was very, very specific. I mean, yeah. down to some very small areas of microenvironments where like they that. saw that. Yeah. I did too. But, you know, then they decided to spend more money and do it again. So Well, yeah, some of... Um, what we're talking about, a lot of people are not familiar with it, but it's a zone map mm. for the United States, and there's different zones, and it tells you. And your plants now, they used to not, but a lot of plants now have the zone the zones on, on there. Yeah. yeah, so the higher number, the warmer, the lower number, the coldest. So if you're shopping or just looking at magazines, wanting to know about uh, shrubs and all, you got, you'd look at the zone, right. and then you can look at the zone map. But then... Being in the mid south, which zone are we at? What time? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, and, but and remember, it's it's that's the the farthest north it can grow. When you look at six A or, or or here seven B where Memphis is, you don't want to plant it any. If it's a six, you don't want to plant it uh, up in Minneapolis. Right. You mm-hmm. know, you want to be very careful and not passing that zone. Because uh, it's not likely to survive. Right, and it, see now, or they did fifteen years ago, ten years ago, and I haven't checked lately. Is there still? Do they still put heat zones out? There, there is. They use the was it sunset heat zones or something like that. But I've never, never used those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. but that was something like if you saw a shrub that had a zone of seven B, 
But then it had a heat zone yeah. of eight <clears throat> that meant, or nine that meant it, it don't really go needed, over It needed that to be further te- south. Yeah, you know? yeah, or don't but, go over that temperature. All right, well, y'all coming up, gardening trends. You know, and let me go over a couple of these, and it mm-hmm. makes you think. One of the gardening trends they're saying for 2022 for next year, it says including plants that transport you to the tropics. Okay. Interesting. So, you know, a lot of people are still kind of stuck at home. They're Mm -hmm. not traveling like they used to with the whole COVID thing going on. So they're really bringing the tropics to the house. Like inside? Both inside and out, but they are. It mentioned, you know, planting cannas again. You know, remember growing up, who didn't have cannas in their yard with the big leaves, Uh you know, and and the blooms at the top? And they are tropical looking. Mm -hmm. Of course, different types of elephant ears, you know, you can put out there, Rose of Sharon, Rose Mallow, those type of plants that had uh-huh. those big blooms, like a yeah. hibiscus bloom. Oh, so, yeah. so they're bringing the tropics mm-hmm. to their landscape. Yeah, like you could use aurelia. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. What, what you see in Florida that would grow here outside. Well, but... Fatsias. Yeah, oh, fatsias. You know, yeah. those kind of things, they're making their... Their landscape more tropical by nature, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's always been that way. You know, we always wanted to have things that people grew in Florida. Of and course they like we to do. Have azaleas and roses, which they can't grow down there because mm-hmm. there's no dormant period. So, you know, it's, but you're going to see advertising. Yeah, you know, exactly. Trying to which, market which that. Which means these two right here are buying for that. So uh, they need to go out. And, <laughs> and then, y'all, right. the other one was blurring, <laughs> blurring the lines between indoors and out. Yeah. And that's, like Jim said, that's that's been going on forever, too. It's kind of right. like outdoor lighting, you know, mm-hmm. outdoor kitchens, outdoor yeah. fireplaces, outdoor furniture. Um, so, you know, that it, you're, you're really going, you're, you're, you're making your outdoor space livable. I thought that was a patio. That's what we used to call it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now everything's being renamed. Yeah. Uh, designing with dark foliage. And that one caught Mm, my eye too. Yeah. People are doing that. You know, and whether it's, uh, you know, heuchera, remember the heucheras that have the deep purple foliage guys, um, you know, some of the crepe myrtles that had the dark foliage. Those um, elephant ears. Yeah, nine bark. Or uh, alicosia. Which one was it, Jim? You saw that at the nursery. Um, I'm sorry. The the black elephant ears, alicosia. I don't remember. Yeah, alicosia, alicosia. Was that, uh, um, it's one of the Hawaiian midnight or something. Yeah, see there, I yeah. started it, didn't but that's I? My, yeah, purple leaves, Miss <laughs> Veda. Yeah. So people are going to, you're going to see more dark foliage. Mm-hmm. Especially in containers. Yeah, you uh, said nine bark. Laura Petalum. Yeah, potato vine, uh, yeah. smoke bush, those kind of things. Uh-huh. People potentially. I would like to hear from somebody if they, if they have a very attractive nine bark. Yeah. 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 Well, they mentioned that one, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, gardening Everybody for wildlife. Does. And yeah. Veda's always been talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're putting out water features, um, you know, for the things that plants well, for berries. Well, yeah. but also gardening for plants with berries. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, beds of perennials that have, uh, you know, seed heads and stuff on them for yeah, the wildlife. Good. So mm-hmm. people are just more aware, if you will, of their little fuzzy and friends out yeah. there. So they're they're planning for wildlife. Well, you know? you know, like in a way, when you 
clean your yard everything out just make it perfectly clean which i'm doing right now yeah but you're gonna fluff it back <laughs> but this <laughs> one i like too because it made me think of you miss data maximizing balconies and porches mm-hmm. you know a lot of times you see just a balcony with a chair sitting out there in a little yeah. round and a little round table okay like, why do you even go outside when it looks like that and but you know putting uh pots out there of different sizes mm-hmm. different colors maybe hanging baskets out yeah. there i mean you can really do a lot. I've seen mm-hmm. people put artificial turf down and to get yeah. the green look out there and then do I've all of this. That. So, yeah. yeah. Because there's artificial turf now that looks pretty good, but I don't want to spend that amount of money on a patio. But that's that kind of just uh, makes everything else blend. There, there are a lot of vertical containers that, that was you part can hang of it windows. also yeah. on the balconies, yeah. And um, now also, they're fi- I'm finally finding things for uh, hanging baskets indoors that have no holes in the bottom, mm. where you set you don't plant in it. It has no holes, but you just set your trailing plant in right. the pretty pot because it you holds can't put a, a moss hanging basket in the house and nope. water nope. and expect it. And so that way we don't get to have hanging baskets until we've got these new types of things that hold plants and then just two more i know we got to go to a break uh planting bicolor annuals well we've always done that instead of just solid colored blooms Uh a lot of blooms Uh that have more than one color in it you know some of the super tunias and Mm -hmm. the calabroches and those kind of things and then getting the most out of every season planting things out there which you've always talked about too veda jim you too is not is having annuals and perennials, especially when it comes to perennials, that bloom more than just that one time in the spring mm-hmm. or just that yeah. you get that bloom in the summer. You want to have where you have nice color or interest from spring to fall. You know, really, if an easy way to get your yard uh, diversified is shop every season at the garden center. Uh. Because like now we've got majority of evergreens and things that are going to be green through the winter. And we're going to go to a break and talk more about it. And we've got Dell on hold. We'll be right back, Dell. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome back to Gardening with Veda and Jim and Kenneth. And let's go to Dell. Good morning, Dell. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Hey, Dale. Good morning to you, my dear. Well, I rooted those uh, pieces of philodendron I cut off so I could get it in the house. And, and how? Now I, I, I know I don't know what to do with them now. Um, two. Well, I know what to do with one. It rooted in potting soil, about five inches long, and then the others. One has two giant leaves and about six or eight inch um, uh, roots and the smaller one has is really tiny and it has about two three inch roots well the one that has the long roots would be easy to transplant right now because it's got enough roots to hold the leaves up but you'll just want to get some really good soil for your house plants, not one that's holding the water too long and not ones that's really light. There are actually plants. I mean, I would go either with the earth mix or the Fox farm soil, because that's one of the most important parts. Then you spread your roots out in the container and put soil over that. Um, not deep, you know, not, and if your leaves are falling over, put a stake in it 
if you have some leaves that one's higher than the other, I don't know. Would mm-hmm. you cut that big one off, Jim? Probably. Kenneth? Yeah, so you can have a better oh, well. root to shoot ratio. Because yeah, you're going to, yeah. it's going to spend a lot of energy trying to make the roots, and the biggest leaf might not be able to be supported. And plus, if you take the biggest leaf off, then the roots will grow quicker too. And you're right. I mean, you want to, the main three things to take away is you want to keep these things moist, not wet. Talking about a mm-hmm. good potting soil. You want to keep them warm. You don't want them to, to, to be cold. Um, and then you want to uh, give them decent light. Uh, and if you do that through the course of this winter, you know, they'll be fine. Yeah. But using a good, uh, high-quality potting soil, like Veda said, is the most important thing initially anyway, because you're not talking about a lot of root system that you're dealing yeah. with initially. Okay, so what about this? Should we? Should she wait till spring? Because it's hard to transplant now just in terms of they're really not growing. They're more in a dormant. Should you wait till spring to do this, or so? I guess anything's better in soil. Better in soil. Yeah, I would go ahead and do it as long as she's got a place to keep them where they get good light. I think I'd go ahead and do it. Um. So Dale, I mean, and and what you're doing, I mean, they they're actually pretty easy uh, to grow. So good soil, moist, not wet, good light, keep them warm. You should be fine. Okay, well that sounds good. Well, the one, uh, the bigger one, uh, the stems and the leaves are about uh, two and a half feet long, mm. and the uh, and the root and the um, yeah. piece I cut off is about uh, eight inches long. Okay, yeah, okay, that's and better. Eight inches. It could, long as you've got some foliage on it, you could even go smaller. Yeah, and really? then a lot of people would cut a lot of that foliage off when they're taking their cutting mm-hmm. uh, to where they keep just a couple leaves towards the top of the cutting. <laughs> Excuse me. And that way, like Veda said, you're sending that more of that energy down to create a good root system. Yeah, and just, you know, <clears throat> as many leaf nodes as you can get underground, uh, that's going to be more roots for you. Yeah. So you're better off, you know, just leaving one or two leaves and putting three or four nodes under than leaving eight leaves and only putting two nodes yeah. under. So and that's the ones with roots also? Can you do? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. The um, it, the leaves are two and a half feet, have two and a half foot stems. And so I know I'm going to have to um, brace them somehow. Yeah, I'll yeah. probably put a stake in. <laughs> well, we've got to run and go to another break. So if you have more questions, Delta, she can put you on hold. Otherwise, we will be right back. After I tell you all about this, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said 30 seconds. Did you mean three minutes? One One minute. Okay, now we can go. No, not really. Well, she's right. I mean, Dale's on the right path. And Mm -hmm. like Jim said, as long as you, you know, the more that cutting that you put down into the soil with the nodes on it, the better off you're going to be. All right, then that sounds like a good way to do it. And root tone could always help. We'll be back in just a minute. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, Jim, uh, Jim, Jim's here, but Kenneth's going to be out for this hour. 
playing yeah. with Christmas yep. trees. It is, uh, it's time he had to go open up shop this yeah. morning. So Because um, everybody needs a Christmas tree right now. Um, what we were talking about in the first hour, because Kenneth started uh, talking about less lawn, which you have. Mm-hmm. So did you know you having less lawn, you're now part of the lawn reduction movement? It, you know, and I have thought a number of times that I would like to get rid of the grass, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. So I you're still a, thinking I, that. I, you know, I would. If, you know, if I were... Ten or fifteen years younger, mm-hmm. I would. I'd, I'd just go ahead and bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. But you know, I don't think now that. Uh, well, you know, my wife listens. <laughs> yes. I don't want to live long enough to hear it, <laughs> see this. <laughs> so, oh. uh, but it, it's just you know, I, I think it's eat. I, I don't like to mow. You know, I really right. don't. Um, in fact, a, I have somebody usually mow my lawn. Um, yeah, and it takes so much care anyway to take care of your lawn but i still want a little patch of grass that's that's the way carol is she you know yeah. gotta have some grass something so. right so we have we have none in the back or the, the north which is the secret garden there's no grass at all it's nothing but flower beds and pathways well you know if you're doing that where we're reducing our lawn then we're increasing so much more value and enjoyment to your yard actually uh you mm-hmm. know vision standing in a a beautiful lawn which is totally fantastic but if you have more interest you enjoy your yard more and you get more wildlife and then that's part of the whole solution well it's going to be a hard solution but it's part of one of the things that are helping with the environment planting because you know grass isn't adding as much um benefit to the environment is the trees and the shrubs and uh the low ground covers and things the diversity really helps our environment yeah you know and i really uh, appreciate everybody that wants to do stuff for the environment but you know my garden is to help me yeah there's it, that too yeah it helps my mental lack of <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, you, mm. not a good way to it's, say that either um <laughs> you're just full of it keeps today. me calmer it okay. really does. I mean, it's proven. You know, I've had an anger issue a few times in my life. Uh, <laughs> and, <it's laughs> and that's, you know, I don't have that issue as much you anymore. You can just go chop a tree down that's and get right. rid of I your anger. Yank a plant out throw it across <laughs> the yard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds of benefits. Yeah, but then, you know, if, you're, if you've got a bench placed properly, the things are chairs or, you know, create a little room to sit. And then you can organize it to attract like like you can have a water garden so it's a whole fun thing to watch the different things that go on around your water garden and then if you create a a birding garden over here then there's a whole different set of action that's going on there it's just so interesting to i watched a wasp one day i don't know why but i watched him for a long time and Jim, maybe you'll know this. It looked, okay, it was going backwards, but it looked like he was rolling wood up. It was on a little plywood thing. And it looked like with his mouth, he was going backwards and scraping the wood. Hmm. And I watched, I couldn't get close enough, of course, because, I mean, it was too small to see. I was pretty close, and we were looking eyeball to eyeball. And I'm going, what are you doing? It was a bizarre thing, but it took yeah. up a lot of time and I enjoyed being outside. Carpenter bee, maybe. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I know. I do not know what it was doing. So that was a strange thing. Mm. But we, you get to see all kinds of stuff like that. We d- we did have a question came across on our uh, Facebook thing. 
uh, Bob wrote in and said, I've cut my elephant ears to the ground level. And he placed a, 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 a rhizome with the, or a bulb with two leaves in a jar with water. I wouldn't know if he'd, they'd stay green inside. And yes, absolutely. If you've got a sunny enough location, uh, you can grow elephant ears in water, period. I mean, even out in your yard. Uh, if you had a water feature, you can grow them underwater. So, <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, so yeah. You, yeah, you can you can do that. You might want to feed them a little bit. Now you can get um, if you just take a uh, if you've got something like fish emulsion, just take like a drop mm-hmm. and drop into the water, um, and you'll need to change that fairly regularly. Um, but yeah, you can uh, keep them, make pretty little plants. Yeah, because uh, we do sell them in the houseplant department, like the alocasia, the African mask. Mm-hmm. That's oh, it's, pretty. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it looks it's it's just like in the elephant ear t- performs the same way. So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, be pretty. And just a reminder: if you're looking for Christmas presents, don't forget about the night the 2022. Uh, Master Gardener Catalog, uh, done by the Memphis Area Master Gardener. Here's a calendar, yeah. not catalog. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's uh, got a lot of it's information. It's got a lot of information in it. So, you call, know, it a, call it that. You can buy it at several retailers around, a uh, novel bookstore, um, and you can go to their website, uh, memphisareamastergardeners.org. Yeah, I was reading it. the list. I mean, every independent garden center's yeah, got them, much. which yeah. means it's good. It is a good yeah. good. So that's a great Christmas present. Oh, I have a really good Christmas present um, that you should get. I did a uh, Instagram video on it, so I think it's coming up on Friday if you follow Palladio Garden. But it's about pruners, and I have found a pair that's a ratchet, ratchet pruners. But I've never found them to be this convenient or work this well. Uh, Ironwood, I think is a name. Hmm. You may actually, you know, where I found them the very first time was at the, uh, the master gardener at the, um, Agri Center. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't think of what that's called, but it was a vendor there. So I found these pruners there. So I took like a, uh, a stick, I think it was three quarters maybe. And I took a pair of regular pruners and I, I just tried and tried to cut it with you know turning them back and forth and and pushing on them real hard I could not cut it with those pruners but I took the ratchet pruners and it just took three ratchets which were easy to do and just cut that right off so it's enabled me over the years to actually be able to to continue to prune as you get older because your hands and, and everything just doesn't quite do it mm-hmm. so that's a great Christmas present or a ratchet pruners yeah my wife gave me last year for christmas a pair of felco they're 31s i think is the number on them but they're larger so that Mm -hmm. elderly people like (laughs) myself can use two hands on them yeah uh, and cut so it's uh, and i've really enjoyed it really yeah well they're funny i just thought of this when you said that was we always uh, now lately refer to, well, you know, when you get older and it's harder to squeeze it. And I'm going, well, you know what? If you're younger, then why not go the easy way? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> so it doesn't have anything to do with age. It's just things have just come to to fruition or been have been developed. And tools are very you're, you're only as good as your tools, really. So, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, make sure you use them properly. If you're, if you're using hand pruners, you shouldn't cut anything over about half the size of the blade. Otherwise, you're going to spring them. So, you know, try mm-hmm. to cut small 
You know, if, if it's bigger than that, you need a saw to do it or loppers instead of using your hand pruners. Oh, you know what I've used? A Sawzall. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. They Why work. didn't we use that before? We've dug a big tree out with the Sawzall mm. because first, you know, you just dig as much soil as you can and then you find all those big um, anchor roots and you just cut those anchor roots with the Sawzall and you do have to rock it back and forth a lot and you still get that center that gets anchored pretty good. But after you can rock it and turn it sideways, then you cut that out. And that sounds like a lot of work, but if you can't use a hatchet or if you're yeah. not strong mm-hmm. enough, that saws all. I mean, we could take trees out and it'd be just two little two little people and we're taking that big tree out. I wonder if there's garden saw alls. There is, there is one about battery. Uh, I think Works makes one that mm. you use that's battery operated that... Uh, that you can hold in one hand and just yeah. zip through there. So. Oh, that's good. Because, I mean, I'm using the construction Sawzall. But there are a lot of different blades, yes. too. Mm-hmm. There are woodcutting blades, actually. So um, that's a really good tool to use if y'all, anybody out there is planning on digging up a tree today. But, of course, you know, I just said cut all the feeder or the anchor roots. So it wasn't for transplanting. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not for transplanting. So don't try that because you're going to transplant your tree. Which, by the way, is a great time to do it now. It is. Now's a good time. Um, now, if you're thinking about moving a large tree, it's always good to start six to eight months in advance, do some root pruning on it so that it can develop roots closer to the trunk of the tree so that you don't have to move one that's got a four-foot ball on it. You can, you know, move a smaller tree, uh, I mean a smaller root ball with it. So, you know, plan ahead. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to transplant one from the wild, don't. Okay. <laughs> Right. Your chances of surviving a dogwood or something like that are, are slim because the when you, that seed germinates, it puts out a root in one direction that's just about the same height as the tree. So if you've got a four-foot-tall dogwood, you've got a four-foot root that you're going to end up having to cut off. And most of the feeder roots are on beyond that. So when you cut that off, it's going to suffer. It, and it, they seldom survive, you know, or they'll sit there four or five years before they really start to grow much. It's so much better to just buy one in a container that you know is a good flowering variety because mm-hmm. uh, we do have some we have some dogwoods here that are not what we call flowering dogwoods, the rough dogwood. Um, a that, rough dogwood? Yeah, the, the rough, <laughs> rough dogwood. Rough, bow, wow, rough, the, rough, the, rough dog. The leaf on the bottom is very <laughs> fuzzy, but it produces a cluster of small flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an attractive plant, but, you know, when you grow one for seven or eight years and then suddenly it doesn't flower, you're not quite as happy with it. So, and you see them in the woods here all the time. Yeah. So you want to, it's best just go buy you a good one. It's got all the roots in the container, you know, you mm-hmm. can plant it in it. Doesn't if done right, it doesn't even know you've moved it out of the pot. So that is true. Yeah. So now is a great time for shrubs, transplanting, shrubs, yes. even perennials. Good yes. time for perennials, you, and particularly now because so many nurseries have them where the tops have died down, and they're willing to just close mm-hmm. them out at ridiculously low prices. Right. So you can get some really good deals because well, perennials, what all you want, you're wanting the roots. Yeah. That's the really the only thing that's important. Right, right. I mean, you know, there's some perennials that are evergreen, but like one of the girls asked me at the garden center, uh, we have uh, a number of hostas on the shelf, and of course they've all died down, and now it's dirt in a bucket. And she mm-hmm. goes. Why do we have these dirt in a bucket up here for retail? But we're going to run for a break, and we'll tell you why after this break. 
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you all listening this morning. If you're having trouble picking us up, go to Radio KWAMRadio.com. That reminds me, KWAM. I was uh, talking to a lady that she wanted to buy some trees. And so, you know, we or she was asking what kind of trees are small and ornamental. And, um, uh, sorry. <laughs> so small and ornamental. And I don't even remember, Jim. Somebody sent me a text and I read it right while I was talking. So go ahead with your <laughs> topics. <laughs> you know what the text was? I had a bad night last night. I don't think I can work today. Yeah. <laughs> One of the problems of being in charge <laughs> is you have to deal with everybody else's problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, One of the things so. I, I did want to talk about is in right this. It's just kind of we talk about it probably every week this time of year is um, trying to bring a live Christmas tree into your home. Uh, now we're not talking about a cut one. We're talking about one that you can plant after Christmas, in theory, and, uh, and to have something to remember this Christmas by. You know, if you like your first year with a baby or something like that. So. But realize that in your house, the tree thinks that it's springtime after about three days of warm temperatures and the buds begin to swell. So really three days is about the max that you can keep the tree in the house and expect it to survive. Uh, once those buds start swelling and then you plant it back outside, it's, you know, it, it's going to go downhill on you. Now, chances are you won't know that it has died till about June. Okay, it's got carbohydrates stored in the stems. It will f- come out, look great, have a great spring. You'll think you've survived. It yeah. has survived, and then uh, one hot day in June, it just collapses, and you blame your husband. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> what you do to it? Uh, but it really died back, you know, at Christmas time. You just didn't know it yet. So you know, three days on a container plant and then get it back out where it can get some cold and then plant it when you get a chance. So that's one day of decorating, one day of liking it, and one day of taking it down. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Put it up on the morning of Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. take it down on the day after Christmas. Yeah. Or if you really want to do that and you're going to just do the three days, then just do natural decorations on it, (laughs) pine cones and berries and um don't do any lights you know i'm trying to really work hard on helping y'all bring in a live tree but you know if like you said sometimes people get it uh the live tree because they want to plant it after christmas in remembrance or just to Mm -hmm. because your son uh, was born or just whatever it is yeah you see a lot of trees that are just not native to this area too like uh, colorado blue spruce yeah uh, a uh, number of different spruce trees. You see some sheared white pines, and, and mm. those are never going, they don't grow that way, okay? They were <laughs> sheared to make them look like a Christmas yeah. tree. They should have a few leaves that chew needles at the top uh-huh. and be bare underneath. So they're, they're difficult to make look good right. after you've had them. So put them out, do them out on your patio instead. There you go. Yeah. You know, There's nothing wrong with two trees. That's right. Put it outside. Well, do you think on that pine tree that they've shaped and sheared, is it going to mess the growth look up later? Yes, it will okay. unless you fix it. You know, as once you leave it alone and let it start to sprout at the top, those lower mm-hmm. limbs are going to die off. So it's best to take them off after you get 
three or four sets of limbs above mm-hmm. it than just go in and shear everything off the base yeah. uh, before they get any bigger and just uh, and fix it. Well, so there, there's a good lesson in proper pruning techniques right. because, I mean, just out in your yard because of the tree, the, the pine looks like a Christmas tree and it's really cool, but it's an improper pruning technique. So, um, oh, yeah. we did have a, a caller. She was interested. It's Marsha. How to grow a camellia from a cutting. And is this a good time of year to do it? Well, it's um, not the easiest time. It can be done. Now, you can do a hardwood cutting right now, uh, but you are going to need to keep it inside through the winter, okay, to get it to root in and then plant it after danger of frost has passed next spring. They're the easiest to root when the new growth just gets brittle, and typically that's around the 1st of July here. If you'll take a cutting that's got four or five leaves on it, remove the bottom three or four leaves so that you get two nodes underneath, and I like to use sand instead of uh, soil. Uh, Ooh, I like dip, that idea. Dip them in rutone, make your hole with a pencil so you don't scrape off the that are we getting close to a break here? Okay, she's pointing at me. <laughs> so I can't see our producer here. Right. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, uh, make your cutting like uh, and put, put, dip, put it in sand and then just keep it covered with a little plastic, like a little greenhouse, and it'll root out in about six weeks or so. It's, oh, it's pretty you, quick. Could you do it in a terrarium? Yeah, you can do it in a terrarium. Yeah, as long as you're getting sufficient bright light mm. and it doesn't need full sun yeah. but it does need bright light so yeah. you want to get it in in or near a window or something like that yeah doing uh, it at terrarium is really easy yeah and actually. like i say i like to use sand because you don't run the risk of soil fungus like you do damping off and that sort of thing like you do with ah. soil that uh, sounds good or a collage you could root it in a collage if i said that right we'll be right back Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening with Veda and Jim. And Kenneth uh, had to leave for this last hour. So, of course, we miss him. And uh, we were in the process of talking about rooting cuttings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I like to use the, the, the clear shoebox type things, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put a top on and keep the humidity up. And, and like I say, I like to use sand for a rooting mix instead of any soil. Uh, we you just don't have any fungal issues whatsoever. Um, and do but, you use red sand, play sand, any sand? I use anything. You know, usually what I've got is is white sand or play sand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uh, it to me it's very it makes a an easy transplantable cutting with sand. Um, and I like to leave about two leaves on a cutting, like on a camellia, and if they're big, I'll cut them in half. Yeah, absolutely. And just leave half of the leaf on there just so that it's producing some food. Uh, and then, you know, in a box like that, I can stick 30 or 40 cuttings in there. Um, oh, I yeah. do, like I say, like to make the – I put the sand in, dampen it a little bit, and then I like to make the holes with a pencil so that when I push the cutting – down in i don't rake off the rooting compound that's on it uh and then i'll i usually if i need to water um i like to add a little rooting compound to that water 
Uh, if you've got a weeping willow, that works really w- good to grind up some of the leaves and stems. Um, willow has a, a natural rooting compound mm-hmm. in it, and it, it really helps stimulate roots. Right, because you can have a ro- uh, weeping willow stem in a flower arrangement uh, in the soil, actually, not planted, and everything else dies around it, but that willow rooted. Yeah, it'll root in the water. Yeah. Uh, it'll root in the oasis cube. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, so <laughs> there. Uh, it's easy, easy to do that. So, so and then yeah. I usually put if it's azaleas or or holly or uh, camellia cuttings, I just put the top on it and, make, and stick it up underneath some shrubs somewhere and check mm-hmm. it once every couple of weeks just to make sure that the sand has not gotten dry. Uh, but it should stay humid inside there. And in about six weeks, you can, you'll can you have cuttings that you can move out yeah. and, and pot into quart pots or something like that. Right, yeah. I was talking about a terrarium may be good. And then the cloche. Cloche, cloche. yeah. Cloche. It sounds like you're saying cloche. Fancy word for a glass dome. Yeah, that sets over <laughs> your plants. I think they were originally... In the used in the garden, you know how we use the milk jugs cut at the bottom and then put them over your plant for mm-hmm. protection. Well, the the cloche was used for that too. But now you see them sold all over the place, and they're they're just beautiful and they're great for indoors. And uh, the this is the only way that I think I might deal with growing a maidenhair fern is in a cloche. Because, you know, a lot of people have troubles with them drying out, Mm -hmm. even if they're really paying attention to it. But in that cloche, they did great. Yeah, in fact, just in the last week, uh, something popped up on Facebook or something. A guy had a a huge uh, uh, jar that he had planted in 1960 or something. Sealed it up with the plants, and he'd never watered it since. Wow. Uh, And it's just had its little micro environment in there. It's uh, enough stuff dying off of the plant to, to fertilize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the carbon dioxide and oxygen ratios apparently are correct. Uh, what's produced in the day and what's produced at night. So, and you know, it's, it's a been little living, world. Been li- exactly been living in there all by itself. My mother so. had a big, heavy glass terrarium, pretty good size. And she really loved it, planted it up nice, played with it, gardened in it. One day, one of my sisters was goofing off, and I don't know how, but somehow she hit that terrarium. It started sliding across the um, coffee table. Me and my two sisters about broke our heads diving together to catch that terrarium because we would have been kicked out for life. <laughs> <laughs> so the, It's like you have a very responsible position in your home. Anything happens, you're responsible. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. I actually helped my sisters make up lies so I wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> but, oh, and you know, another good thing since we're talking about indoor plants and all that is for real... A moisture meter. Yeah, that's something that it, most people need and don't have. You really do. I always did houseplants outside. Like it when we were at Stringers, had that big, huge greenhouse, but it was outdoor mm-hmm. in, away. And so watering your houseplants outside is much different inside. And, I mean, plants, they do need to be moist, but they can go all the way to the dry side. Yeah, depending on what it is. Yeah. You know, some can get Some need to get quite dry yes. between it. Absolutely, because it goes from, you know, dry to wet. 
And I have stuck it in the soil on uh, plants occasionally where you're thinking, oh, I'm sure they're fine. And it just bottoms out at dry. But they do not look like they have an issue at all. Right. A lot of succulents particularly may not need to be watered even if it says dry. But that's, that's just right. something yeah. you're going to have to learn. Yeah. Well, uh, um, also the moisture meter in the package has a uh, recommendation but it's really mostly by experience. Yeah, and it varies by the soil that's in it. That's the the thing. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're really into house plants, you're buying them from lots of different places, yeah. and you're going to have different soils that dry at different rates. The size of the plant makes it dry at different rates. The type of pot it's in. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's not a easy with one meter to tell for sure mm-hmm. what you're going to need to do. You, you're going to have, this is where gardening comes in. You got, you got to know a little bit about your plants uh, and you'll get to where you can tell by the feel as much as anything that this plant needs to be watered. Um, yeah, because they know, can look dry as a bone and yeah. then they're not. I brought in uh, my, my tree fern, which, you know, had like a six Ooh. foot spread on it. Yeah. And, I have it sitting in a trash can lid, and it got just a tad too dry. Uh-huh. A couple of fronds turned, so I just cut all the fronds off of it. Yeah, just you know, and we'll just hold it through the winter, and it'll come back out next spring. It sure will. That had to be hard to cut all it is. those. It is. It's so pretty, you know. Well, that's like planting annuals. You really should pinch all the blooms off and let them root. But has anybody actually ever no, done nobody, that? Nobody does it. Yeah. No, I don't do that either. And um, so for indoor gardening, a cloche. Cloche, did I say it right? Cloche. Mm-hmm. Cloche, yeah. And moisture meter are two really good things to have and light. Light's really good. And you know those fiddly figs, I have to say, closest to light and really dry. I've had a fiddly fig with those big, big leaves just turn droop like you just droop and watered it a couple times really good and it flushed back out but it didn't have those black spots on it because that's one of the most things that happen to the fiddle leaf figs for indoors is they get those little fungal spots mm-hmm. is what it looks like and that would be too far from the light and too much water so um, you just kind of learn your plants but I think you could kill more with overwatering. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, then and I see so many people, you know, that uh, buy a decorative planter and then put a plant in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really shouldn't be planted in it. It should you should keep it in a uh, plastic pot or whatever and set inside that because if it stands in water, it's going to you're going to have grief. You're going to have the feeder roots rot off, mm-hmm. and then the plant's going to wilt, and you're going to go, <laughs> oh, I need to water it. So you give it more water, which makes it worse when it really needs to be drier so and need air. So you, you want to never, ever let them stand in water unless it's a plant that needs that, like Australian tree fern. You know, yeah. It needs to sit in water mm-hmm. um, pretty much all the time. Because uh, it's drinking it so fast. That's right. It yeah. uses so much of it. But, it, you know, again, that's where... If you're going to be a gardener, you need to learn you a little do. bit about plants. Well, as we have so many plants to water, so it uh, can get tricky mm-hmm. with everybody trying to keep up with them. <laughs> but I'm teaching a girl how to water, and we weren't using the moisture meter at the time. So I walked by a plant, and it looked dry, but then I looked down and noticed, well, it's not dry. There's water in the saucer. 
So we'll give it a minute. I know she just watered and see if it sucks up all the water. Well, it didn't. And I'm thinking, okay, it must have been more moist than we were thinking, even though it looked dry. So I pulled the pot up out of the water, out of the saucer that had water in it. I pulled the plant out, and there was another saucer in there, and it was full of water. And then the saucer underneath was full of water, but the plant still looked at the surface like it was dry. Mm -hmm. So you do have to analyze the situation a lot. Right. Yeah. You just kind of learn how they are. Um, So I think, let's see, we'll take this. Do we need another break? Yeah, okay. we'll do that, and then we've got Herman. Yep. He's got some indoor questions on houseplants, and we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, let's see. Herman called. Oh, no, Herman's here. Good morning, Herman. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Uh, good morning. So what do you have going on? Well, I have a, uh, a a water problem with calcium on water plant, uh, house plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, clay pots, of course, it bleeds through and it makes a white, messy mess. Mm-hmm. But I recently bought a DU. Am I there? Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, okay. A de- I recently bought a dehumidifier, and the water that I get out of it, is it okay to water the house plants, or is it just no? No, no nutrients or anything in it. Uh, uh, uh. Well, there would be no nutrients in it, but it would be okay to water with it. Okay, oh, I, and, you know, I would oh, still that you, you what you're getting is calcium salts from fertilizer that ends up on the pots. So if you'll okay. just leach those, take them, you know, once every six months or so, put a little water in the in the tub or sink and set the pots in there so that it absorbs water all the way up to the edge just just get the water up to the top of the pot and let it sit there for 15 20 seconds and then pull it mm-hmm. pick it up and it will draw most of those calcium salts right out of the out of there and then you could also reduce that calcium salts on the pots by uh, using like earthworm castings because that's a great fertilizer for indoor plants and it won't give you that build up on the clay pot. So that would help reduce it some by using uh, some natural fertilizer as well. But okay, the, yeah. I always thought it uh, was a calcium in the uh, in the water because we have high, um, yeah. our city water, it builds calcium on every faucet, everything. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's yeah, fertilizer. it is. Yeah. <laughs> If it were just calcium, it would flow right out the bottom. But unfortunately, oh, okay. it binds with other stuff and makes calcium salts, and that—that's the oh. issue. Okay, that uh, answered my question. All right, and I sure appreciate it. Hey, thanks, thanks for listening for and call. calling in this that morning. That was a good question. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I didn't uh, realize that there was part calcium mixed in with those salts that's, that was yeah, leaching in the clay pot. That's the issue. Is usually calcium. Sometimes it's sodium. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, which is table salt. Uh, but that's, you know, unfortunate in containers. That's the reason I do like to use organic fertilizers. Mm-hmm. You heard me say that out loud <laughs> <laughs> in, in containers. Uh-huh. I don't like to use things like miracle Grow that are, have rapid release. 
uh, quick release nitrogen. Uh, and, and then they're like you said, salty fertilizers that can burn root tips because it gets stuck on the right. pot. And, and it's the easily absorbed by plants. Mm. So particularly plants like Dracaenas, Diffenbachias, it will accumulate in the tips and the edges and brown yeah. those. Uh, so you almost always see Dracaena marginatas and and Warnecki eyes and that mm-hmm. that have brown tips on them. Yeah, and, and it's that's from the type. That's from the the salt yeah. that's accumulated in the tip. Yeah, we so. use one that has a liquid worm castings, um, seaweed. We use that, but I just like taking a handful of worm castings and putting it on the top like you would be mulching, mm-hmm. but not as thick, but just spreading it all around the soil. I see people water like half of the pot, you know, they right where they can uh, water. They just pour it there. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other half that could sure use some moisture as well because then it's going to wick from the wet area to the dry area or it won't wick at all and then one side will rot. We had had that issue come up. Someone posted a picture on, on our Facebook group and the two things that I could see, you know, they wondered what was going on with their pot. It was plant. It was, it was a, a nice looking Chinese evergreen that suddenly had mm. collapsed. Uh, well, the first thing I could see was that they had repotted it because the pot colors were different. Okay, so I knew that they had done some root, uh-huh. probably damage, and also that um, w- one it needed to be staked. It was too, it was in too loose a soil, that was an issue. Um, and then there was something else I was going to think about um, too. Too loose in the oh, because the roots rotting on one side. Yeah, one one of the stems had just completely collapsed and wilted, and that's from probably too much water but at the surface you could see where they had just watered it and it was you had a dark spot on one side you know so they weren't getting any water on the other side right so you know it's when you water you need to thoroughly saturate the ball regardless if it's Mm -hmm. once a month or once every six months when you water it water it thoroughly right yeah and i have noticed that um if you water thoroughly numerous times through the year you can get away with in between uh spread it all the way around the top but you don't have to water it where it's draining out yes but you still need to do that occasionally right and you don't want it to be so dry that when you water it it your entire bowl (laughs) doesn't get wet it just rolls off into the floor yeah yeah i mean that's where sometimes if we're watering and it's sitting on the top too long then i ask them to poke holes in the soil so it can get down in the in the middle of it in the root ball instead of repelling off but then that comes into play of what type of soil you're you're using like for instance the snake plant and the z plant they don't like water at all but they're going to need it but they don't like it but the soil is so loose it's very porous yeah and but if, there's a reason for that yeah <laughs> if i put a philodendron in there it wouldn't respond to that as hardly at all but the other one that doesn't need a lot of water just as loose as can be i don't even see how the plant stands up but it works mm-hmm. so uh, soil has a lot to do with it we can get um some plants from this vendor and then get some plants from another vendor, and they can be the same. The six-inch pot, the same plant, look the same, but they use a different soil. The vendors use different soils, so they get different watering techniques. Mm-hmm. But they're same plant, it looks like, and same pot. So that has a lot to do with it. 
What are you going to do in your yard, Jim? You take it away. Well, today, you know, I suspect after the rain, it's it, the I like it's a better time to rake because you'll end up stirring up less spores Ooh, and yeah. dust. So we'll probably do some raking today, maybe. Carol. Um, Carol, Carol likes to rake. Thank heavens. She yeah. likes to pull weeds. That's uh, such I a... I have been so blessed. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, <laughs> what an awesome couple that makes God, in the no, garden. It really does. She's, <laughs> she's just great. Oh, my goodness. And then well, she puts up with me, too. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> she is awesome. She is. She's a great person. Um, but, you know, it's... A, it's still a great time to plant. We get it all into Christmas. But, you know, yeah. there's some awesome-looking fall color and shrubs, and you can find them at the garden center, and that helps you know instead of trying to guess when they're all nice and green what fall color. So do that. And then you've got the wreaths and the garland and the Christmas trees. And Jim's got his beautiful yard with lawn reduction. Lots of camellias in bloom right oh. now. So. Oh, my gosh. You Are you posting those on your Facebook page? Yeah, I posted page? 15, 20 pictures the other day. Oh, my gosh. I got to look at those, y'all. We've had a great time and can't wait to see you next weekend in the garden.